Hello, and I'm very sorry I can't be with you this evening, but unfortunately Covid caught up with me and I'm very infectious. Well, it's uh, of course one of the things you do when uh, there's not a lot else you can do because you can't go out is sit and watch some TV. And uh, I guess, like a lot of people, uh, I really enjoy watching crime drama. There are a lot of them on TV all the time and we all have our favourites. And have you seen that in the storylines you often get that scene where the police have somebody in for interview and they say, look, you know, the consequences, if you don't speak to us now, could be pretty serious for you. You know, we really think you should take this chance and level with us. And if that chance is passed up, of course, they're going to be on their own and face the full severity of whatever consequences, penal or otherwise, await them. It's the classic case of jeopardy. Well, life is full of brief windows of opportunity, isn't it? It's a time to listen and to act on it before it's too late. That's what opportunity is. Now, you're bound to have heard people say those infamous words. I really wish I'd dot, dot, dot. They're expressing regret and it's painful. And it always comes from not acting at the time of opportunity. Later on, you're now powerless to change what has become sealed history. You could offer excuses, plead, beg, make amends all you like. None of it's going to change the past. And according to Forbes magazine, people's top regrets are all about relationships, belatedly realising the damage they've done to themselves, to family, friends. And letting such an opportunity slip by, uh, only to find out that it's far too late to fix it, is the subject of our passage today. Jesus is urging us to avoid the biggest regret of all. It's a no-punches-pulled severe message. It's a dire warning. In fact, this whole middle section of Luke's Gospel is full of such stark warnings of danger. I mean, if you scan backwards and forwards, you can't help but notice how direct and punchy Jesus is in delivering bad news along with his own good news. And I mean, that said, the Bible is full of good news. It's a story of miraculous salvation in the midst of exactly this kind of disaster. There is always a window of opportunity and hope to avert calamity. And Luke records Jesus offering this real hope too. It's Jesus' normal pattern as he journeys towards Jerusalem teaching, encountering people who hear him and whom he challenges with this double-sided message of catastrophe and hope. Well, this twin aspect of the message is very cleverly illustrated by Jesus here in this passage with the image of a door. Jesus answers a question by using the contrast of a closed door and an open door, disaster and opportunity. 
Well, let's look first at the question asked of Jesus and then at the door open and then at the door closed. So first, the vital question. Someone's obviously been listening very closely to Jesus and must have twigged the implication of Jesus' teaching that not everyone was going to take the opportunity of rescue that he was offering, but would ignore his warnings. So he asks Jesus a question in verse 23, which boils down to this. How many people will be saved? I mean, he could have also asked, who will be saved? Or does everyone go to heaven? Or is it just certain people? It's a great question. Luke spends a whole of this new section of his account that starts here answering exactly that question. And it's highly relevant to us still today. I mean, if you were to go out and do a survey of today's North Hearts people, asking them if there's life after death and who's going to heaven, I bet everyone's got an opinion. It's still a question where there's a real concern and a real interest. Now, by using the door images, Jesus is saying quite plainly an answer, it's not everyone. Doors divide people. Some will be in, saved, but many are going to be out, excluded. Now, if you were the questioner, that original questioner, your next question might well have been this. Who's doing the excluding? You or us? Are we doing it to ourselves? Well, I'm going to leave you to answer that one for yourself as we explore the passage. The Open Door well, in verse 24a, Jesus gives his questioner a sombre answer. Yeah, there is an open door to salvation, but it's very narrow. And then he says, look, you know, there is an offer of opportunity and hope. And you really should make every effort to go through it. But then comes a dire warning. You know... Many will try to enter the door, but will be unable to do so. Well, there's not much said about the open door, is there? In fact, only that it's narrow. I mean, that's it. But let's say a few things about it anyway. For me, the image of a narrow door conjures up the scene at the end of a, a concert or a sporting match where you find yourself amongst hundreds or thousands of other people all trying to get out of the same front exit at the same time. The door has limited capacity and the whole thing bottlenecks. Now imagine if, if the rush for the exit had to happen because a fire broke out and time is short. Well, because the exit door to salvation is narrow and life is short, out of the mass of humanity that ever lives, only a small percentage will manage to get through, even if the complete number of saved people over all of history will 
still be substantial. But the door is narrow in another sense too. You know, these days there's an enormous pressure, isn't there, to give equal weight to all global religions, including atheism. We're told all religions lead to personal salvation, a place of peace, contentment and fulfilment in eternity. Now, I'm sure we can all buy into the intent of this politically correct thinking, which is this, to be respectful to those with different religious views rather than uh, fight them and condemn them. You see, it's our job rather to win them over peacefully. Uh, but Jesus doesn't let us accept that all religions and philosophies lead to salvation. Because in 24b he says, Many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. You see, when he says the door is narrow, he also means there is only one very specific means by which a person will be saved. In fact, the narrow door is actually a person. It's Jesus himself. Peter says this in Acts, because he got the, got the point. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You'll find that in Acts 4 verse 12. It's a very exclusive claim. And such exclusivity claims in our society are often greatly frowned upon. Perhaps you're even feeling rather uncomfortable about the implication of the narrow door right now. But... This is what the Bible tells us. All right, well, let's turn to the closed door. If there's one massively great party going on the other side of a door, the last thing you want to see is the door close shut. But that's what the bouncers do just as you get to the front of the massive nightclub queue. Sorry, mate, we're full. You really should have come earlier. Being rejected. I mean, everybody knows it's one of the most truly wretched emotions any of us can experience. Without having a strong sense of self-value, it can also be very damaging psychologically. Feeling unwanted, unloved and spurned. Perhaps having a girl or boyfriend dump you. Your spouse walk out on you. Continual failure to get a job. Fired, kicked out, or not picked for the school team. And we often end up blaming ourselves for what does we see as our failure. What's the matter with me, we moan. But you know, sadly, sometimes it really is our own fault. And that's the situation here. And tragically, Jesus has no comfort to give if you end up in that situation. Now, because 95% of Jesus' answer is a harsh message of an opportunity lost and of rejection, it doesn't mean it's necessarily a done deal yet. His 
purpose in, in, in this is to sound a warning that comes out of the heart of someone who loves us. Imagine you don't see a fast approaching van or bus and carelessly step out into the road. Now you're in its path. You've got but moments to step back to safety. Your friend shouts an urgent and frantic warning. You jump back and you're saved from disaster. Jesus is like that loving friend. This is an urgent warning to jump back to safety. So let's keep this perspective in mind as we think about it, this closed door of disaster. Now Jesus teaches this by imagining a distressing and emotionally charged conversation when the door closes. And close it will. The door can close on an individual. And this is not just referring to the final end of the world judgment. Don't you find people are very lackadaisical about death and what happens afterwards? Ever, ever putting off thinking about this kind of big life question and investigating the rescue claims of Jesus? Well, the door's always going to be open. There's plenty of time until there isn't. Many are blasé about it, just assuming that a loving, forgiving God will let them off on Judgment Day, well, for no particularly good reason. And that, of course, they're going to join their equally spiritually careless and remiss friends and family in heaven. Hmm... Not if there's a closed door, they won't. And Jesus bluntly states that the majority of humanity will find themselves in exactly that grim position because one day the, the door will close. Opportunity and hope gone. Fate sealed for good. The gospel era in which we live is described in the Old Testament as the year of the Lord's favour. It's like a one-off offer, but with a very real expiry date. There's no other special offer ever coming along. How are people going to react when this happens to them? And this is where this conversation that Jesus records here comes in. Step 1, verse 25. Well, they bang their fists in disbelief and anger, don't they, and demand to be let in. Or they plead to be let in. It conjures up the traumatic scenes at Kabul Airport last year as people desperately tried to board planes to safety. I mean, can you imagine the horror of realising you're too late, you're excluded, you're never going to make it? I, it, doesn't, it doesn't bear thinking about. And Jesus says, I don't know you or where you come from. He means this, I don't really understand your mind and your heart. 
I don't know that you really want to be with me in my home. Because you never tried to establish a real clear-cut relationship with me before now. No relationship with Jesus. No entry through the narrow door. Ironic, isn't it? No longer is it Christ knocking on our door. Instead, it's us knocking on his door. Uh, These people now belatedly, are calling Jesus Lord. Do you notice that? But this recognition has come much too late. We should note there are three types of excluded people here. First, there's the agnostic or self-proclaimed ignoramus. Those who say, I don't know. They never made the effort to sort it out, did they? Then there's the atheist or humanist who say, I know better. I don't want God and the consequences be hanged. And lastly, there's the religious person, churchgoers included. Those who say, I know differently. Actually, what it is, is that they want salvation on their own terms, not on God's terms. And this last group especially persists outside the door as we come to verse 26 to 27, the second step that they take. And they say, but but we socialised with you, Jesus, and you you taught in our streets. This is self-justification. It's an attempt to claim some kind of association, however tenuous, if for us, we might say, oh, but I've read bits of the Bible. You know, and I, I was baptised as an infant. Oh, and confirmed. And you know, when I got married, I got married in a church. Yeah, and I think I even came to church every so often. <laughs> and actually, when the chips are down, what's more, I'm actually a Jew by blood descendancy. It's my birthright, isn't it? But Jesus chillingly repeats his initial response. You see, he's saying, I still don't know the real you inside. Their claims are just externals, meaningless, ceremonial nonsense. And external forms don't make for a committed relationship. Just because you've got a marriage certificate, for example, doesn't mean you really love someone properly and are committed to them. That's a whole different ballgame. And returning God's love in your heart and saying yes to his marriage proposal whilst it's available is, well, well, that's the key to the door. And there's no other key. But this time Jesus also says in his answer to the grumblers, Away from me, you doers of evil. (sighs) When their friend told them the gospel, they ignored it. Chance gone. And they were still lost in their sin. 
in evil and not covered by Christ's blood as they stand outside the closed door. They can have nothing to do with Christ. They do not belong here in this holy place because they haven't dealt with their sin. The door is shut and locked for good. Some closing comments. You're clinging to a piece of driftwood in the middle of an ocean, miles from anywhere. And then by some miracle, a helicopter appears in the sky over, overhead and an arm reaches down from the winch harness offering you rescue. Are you really going to say, oh, thank you, but, but actually, no thanks, I'm, I'm happy here. Returning to this middle section of Luke's Gospel account over the past year, it's been very striking to me that Jesus is constantly shocked by the hardness of people's hearts. People saying no thanks to rescue, this vital rescue. He longs to wake them up, and he longs to wake us up. Seek God while he may be found, says Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 6. Seek and you will find, says Jesus in the Gospels. But there are so many people uh, with stories of seeking, but who do not find. God, by grace, has opened the door to his perfect eternal home, invited us rogues and broken wrecks to enjoy a perfectly fulfilled and wonderful eternity with him. All we have to do is accept his invitation. It's not hard, is it? Say yes, please, to being rescued. Why do we persist in looking for answers and meaning in life elsewhere? There aren't any other worthwhile invitations. There aren't any other worthwhile doors to walk through. You know, when God knocks on our door to say, I have done everything to rescue you, paying your punishment myself, but you will not listen. Well, eventually he's going to close the door, isn't he? And when those people plead with him, he responds with severity and won't listen to them. The influential preacher Dick Lucas commented, that's what Jesus meant by hell, God shutting his ear to human pleas for help when God finally shuts the door on them. The opportunity, the time to seek God's help isn't then, it's now. Well, lastly, do you notice that this passage is riddled with that little word, you? It's very personal and direct from Jesus. When God calls you, however that is, take the opportunity. If you're a non-Christian still thinking about all this, please listen to his entreaties of Jesus here. Don't put it off. 
You wouldn't stand in the way of the bus bearing down on you if your loving friend shouted the warning to you. So listen to this loving warning of Jesus. Don't end up standing on the wrong side of the door of heaven when it closes. Or it might just close on you. None of us wants that tragedy.